0: Dania Rajendra is a writer and organizer who fights the political right, from neo-Nazis to neoliberals. She's Jewish, and the way she relates to her Judaism has changed over the years. This is a story about how Dania fumbled her way towards observance after several tragic events, but it's also a story about political alliances, Jewish teaching, and where those come together. I come by these politics, honestly. I got them from my parents, who got them from their parents. I grew up in a lefty house. We went to lots of demonstrations as a kid. My grandparents were also lefties. My mom is a retired immigration lawyer, and my dad was a person from another country. And um, so sometimes I like to say I'm the love child of crossing borders, which I think is important in the Jewish context. So on my dad's side, when my dad was born in India, India still belonged to Britain. So it's not really such a long time ago that dramatically different political arrangements really circumscribed the freedom that we take for granted now. And on his side, he had older relatives who participated in the anti-colonial struggle. So I feel like I inherited from both sides. I was born in the late 70s, I grew up in the 80s, in the suburbs of New York City, outside of the organized Jewish community because there wasn't a shul that was gonna be welcoming to a family like ours. It was a very Jewish place, New York is a very Jewish place, and the kinds of organized Jewish spaces that I encountered were not like legible. Like, I wasn't legibly Jewish inside them and uh, they weren't legibly related to my world, right? I remember being in elementary school, and my mom would be like, notice how many kids who get awards are white and how many are people of color. Right? Like, stuff like that. In particular, my mom is deeply anti-racist, and so really always noticing racial disparity and discrimination around us all the time and ensuring that we don't We don't excuse personal prejudice, but we don't ascribe it to individual actions. It was really important to her. And then of course, right, like, I went to these high-quality suburban public schools during the Gulf War, the first Gulf War, and during a bunch of U.S. interventions in Latin America and elsewhere, and I would come home and I'd be like, we learned the North freed the slaves. And my mom would be like, oh no, you didn't. (laughs) Or whatever, that's not really how she talks, but you know. One of the things I think it's important to say as a person who used to be almost entirely non-observant, like I was the kind of Jew who showed up for Palestinian solidarity when I was asked and if it fit my schedule. And I was the kind of Jew who like had a Seder or went to a Seder and maybe went to synagogue on Yom Kippur and maybe didn't. And that was like the extent of my relationship with formal Judaism, but I felt like the work I did and my commitment to worker justice, immigrant justice, racial justice, was my best expression of what I understood to be Jewish teaching and my Jewish heritage. And that my commitment to Lador Vador was to carry on the tradition of the Jewish left, which for the most part had been pretty significantly destroyed, Um, but not completely because there are those of us who remain that way, right? It's amazing to see this Jewish left renaissance. And it's also amazing to know that some of us got to carry forward, like actually in our families and in our experiences, uh, parts of the seeds of that without, like there's no special, I don't get any extra gold stars, right? For having the right grandparents. It's just like the combination of circumstances that mean that, it wasn't fully extinguished and it feels really good to be part of that connection and to have it explode is equally amazing. I became more observant when sort of the bottom fell out of my life. I had a series of what I now call Lemony Snicket's series of unfortunate events that happened to me personally and um, we as Jews are like super great at having like uh formal things to do in the face of misfortune. And I found that incredibly personally meaningful. So I lived in Mississippi one year, and before I moved to Mississippi, I had an ectopic pregnancy where um, I uh, got extremely close to my own mortality. An ectopic pregnancy is when the embryo implants itself somewhere other than the uterus, and um, it's, it's incredibly dangerous. The pregnancy is never viable. It's incredibly dangerous because most parts of the human body are not designed to stretch, to accommodate a growing new human, and so um, you could bleed out. So I had a very dramatic experience with that and my pregnancy was very wanted and um and in the in the crisis of that moment i what came to me was the tune for a vino malcano and um that was part of what um has led to my different relationship to observance than the one i grew up with I have lost a pregnancy that I really wanted and because I was married to a really nice like totally like fine democratic southern Christian family and then we moved at the time from Baltimore to Jackson and I was really surrounded by an intense Christian culture that isn't mine i think it's really interesting i'm glad to learn from it but it didn't feel like home and christian teachings about um when life begins and whatever vary but they're also pretty distinct from jewish teachings about um when a person gets her soul and whose life is the priority. And um, we moved to Mississippi just after voters there had turned down a popular referendum on personhood, which um, in its most extreme form, which is the law in El Salvador, prevents the kind of surgery I had that removes the ectopic pregnancy uh, before there's a real emergency. And so that was all very much on my mind. And um, there were like bumper stickers everywhere and still billboards and stuff. And, and I was undergoing IVF, which failed. And so I was like in this whole culture around infertility and infertility support, which is incredibly important and taught me a lot about solidarity. And, but also has a whole bunch of stuff that just isn't for me, like that very much overlaps with an anti-abortion politic. Which is not to say that anyone who does IVF is anti abortion at all. But there's the culture of supporting people who want to procreate who are unable has a whole host of sometimes very unpleasant, often like really racist and classist stuff about like observing how people treat their children and why does that person get a baby and I don't and it comes from a place of pain and longing and is unacceptable so like I was like in the midst of this really intense personal experience that was super sorrowful in a semi-hostile culture that was telling me a bunch of stuff that I didn't believe so it sent me into this like I did a bunch of reading about like, well, what are the Jewish teachings about like unviable pregnancies and stuff like that? And it was a real comfort to me. And because I worked from home and then because I um, was kind of like grounded while I did IVF, I had a lot of time. So I like started making a call on Fridays and kind of like fumbling towards observance. And then my dad was diagnosed with cancer and I moved back to New York and my marriage ended all kind of like in the months after I came back from Mississippi. And so those things together meant that um, I was looking for a place to, like religion is good for that and Jews are especially great with like misfortune and death. So, you know, it's like part of our secret powers in a non-anti-Semitic way. So I became more personally observant And then around the same time had connected with a bunch of people who do like official Jewish activist work and made some new friends who did Jewish stuff and then found that there had been this like they had created all this space, right? Space to talk about Jews of color and to elevate Jews of color into leadership, space to talk about like a leftist politic inside the Jewish community. I can take no credit for creating that space. The only credit I can take is that I have great friends and that they invited me to step into it. And so it feels like my work is to enlarge that space for us all. Of course, there are anti-abortion Jews. Why shouldn't there be? But the vast majority of Jews in the United States support not just Roe, but safe, legal, accessible abortion pretty much throughout pregnancy. And the Jewish teachings about who is a person, who has a soul, are like pretty clear. There's a lot about how when a person is carrying a child, only one of those living entities has a soul, it is the person carrying the child. Jewish teaching is unambiguous about that, as I understand from my friends who are rabbis and the reading I've done about it. It's personal to me because I had an ectopic pregnancy and I almost died and it was very horrible. And, but like the idea to me that people who are so committed to their idea of Jewishness vis-a-vis, mostly vis-a-vis Israel, that they would then make alliances with the far Christian right who... A hundred percent are gunning for a future that looks like the Handmaid's Tale and are currently right now proposing and passing laws that make it harder and harder for all people. It's a Shonda for all people, but in particular, since we're talking about Jews, for Jewish people. To live Jewishly in the case of difficult circumstances, a time that I know best is a time where we rely on religious teaching and the foundations of our faith to see us through. The idea that this country would pass laws that counter our teachings as a people, which is to say the person carrying a child is the person with the soul. The commandment to save a life is the primary basis of Jewish ethical teaching and the idea that we might like bleed out as they do in El Salvador with the most regressive personhood law in the world that that law is the template for what they're hoping to pass in the United States that even if they make an exception for a topic which they don't always do that like you one should be forced to carry to term because someone else thinks your baby is more important than you are, even though our faith says that's just not how we roll? Like, because of your commitment to an external nation state? Uh, well, fuck you very much. <laughs> like, that's just, like, something's wrong. Something's wrong. Who are the, like, for me, in my own personal interest as a Jewish woman, I'm like, who is protecting my right to like free and fair abortion on demand? Those are my people I'm rolling with because that's what it has meant for me to be Jewish. To make political choices is about choosing bedfellows. And if your bad fellows are like doing gnarly shit, then like it's time to think about who you're fucking around with. <sighs> what we lose by focusing on anywhere external is the current conditions here. And so I think underlying that is what I understand to be an idea that to be a Jew in diaspora is less than. And like I don't know any other way to be a Jew. And I'm not interested in any other way to be a Jew. Thank you again to Dania. And thank you to David Zinman and Sam Elliott of The Trafe Podcast, who originally worked with me on this story. You can find Danielle's brilliant writing on her website, which I'll link to in the show notes.